Good morning, church family here present and online. It's good to be with you. And I get to bring the word of God today, and I, I, I consider that a great privilege. But before we begin, we'd like to pray for one of our international workers, Gaylene Warden. She's, you know, she didn't get the memo about retiring and staying in one spot. She keeps going back to places like Venezuela and Cuba and uh, developing leadership there. And she's on her way there. And we'd like to pray for her. So let's uh, pause for a moment before we begin the message and uh, lift her to the Lord. Lord, thanks so much for Gaylene. And she cried with you over cities for them to know the Savior Jesus and for them to be developed as leaders so they could tell others about him. So Lord, as she goes, you know what Cuba's like. (laughs) It's hard to get stuff in there. It's hard to get through customs even. So I pray for safe journey all the way there. And I pray when she gets there, the uh, customs officials would say, oh, you're one of us. You go through. And all of her stuff that she needs for discipling, the Cubans would get through with her. And she would have a very profitable and fruitful ministry time there. We pray for her now because she's not well at home. And we pray that you would heal her of whatever ailment she has. We pray that you would give physical strength to her, take away the sickness, bear it upon yourself, bear it away from her, and give her the strength and joy she needs to be your servant in that difficult part of the world. Shine through her, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm the lucky guy that gets to try and answer the question, do all religions lead to God? Well, today we live in a world in which we're always walking on eggshells, not wanting to offend or exclude anybody. We even want to be a friendly church, don't we? In fact, I see you out there. You're friendly. And we want to welcome people who are different from us in in any way. So to be inclusive and tolerant and accepting makes us careful about what we say, to whom we say it, and, and even how we say it. And in the realm of the church, I think we do this in an ever greater degree of attention. And can you blame us? We really want everyone to know that God loves them and has a place for them in this family. But as we'll see today, that truth by nature is exclusive. And in trying to answer the question, do all religions lead to God? We'll see that truth has to eliminate some other ways. I think I would ask the question this way. Are all religions true? Most adherents to any religion, even if it's humanism, would say that this is tr- something is true for me, that this is my truth. Uh, I think what would be better would be a word swap and that this path of religious practice and faith is meaningful to me instead of saying that it's my truth. There's devotion in other religions. I've seen it. I've traveled around different parts of the world. I've been to Africa and Asia and, uh, well, across to the island with some of our First Nations uh, tribes and people groups. I remember one time we were in a a motorized rickshaw in the north of Burma, uh, which which is Myanmar, called Myanmar now. We were near Mandalay, that exotic place, And we were in a little village, and we were going along in this motorized rickshaw, and uh, all of a sudden, people came out with buckets of water and were splashing us as we sat in the back of this. And I thought, what is going on, driver? Are we that dirty? (laughs) 
And I asked the guy beside me, he said, no, that's a practice here in one of our festivals. And we believe that splashing water on each other will symbolize good fortune and the cleansing of illnesses and disasters. Oh, good, I hope I relieve somebody from some disaster <laughs> and illness. So, you know, we continued on, but I made sure Lynn was between me and the road, a little more careful. <laughs> and then there was a, a practice that I noticed in, in Guinea, among the Muslim people groups there, especially among the Susu. During the fasting of Ramadan, you had to be careful with your step because everybody was <laughs> and I didn't know what that was all about. But they fast, of course, during Ramadan because it's one of the five pillars of Islam and they don't want to uh, swallow even their saliva because they want to be pure before God and they want to make God see that they're going the extra mile, so to speak, in not not even having water or anything fluid during that time. I remember getting up in one of the villages of my friends and going around. By the way, I was woken up by this boombox at 5.30 a.m. and I thought, it was the Muslim call to prayer. <laughs> Allah Akbar! And uh, 5 a.m. I, I said to my friend, I'll send you, who was sleeping in the bed, what's going on? He says, it's a call to prayer. I, I figured that. <laughs> but why is it so loud? Because <laughs> everybody has to hear it. And I said, I, I said in my Western individualistic kind of way, uh, why is he playing it so loud? I mean, he woke me up. I'm, I was going to go to prayer, but not, not in the mosque. And he said, well, you know, he got a new boombox and he wants to share it with the village. <laughs> uh, okay, that's the group thinking that's predominant in Africa. I went out. 5 a.m., there's a bunch of kids around the fire. And what are they doing? They're learning the Quran. They're trying to memorize it. Because they feel that in memorizing the Quran, the word given to Prophet Muhammad, they will uh, gain more favor in the eyes of God. Why these stories? Well, it's to illustrate how our beliefs and perspectives on everything from birth and life and death make up our worldview. I've traveled a lot in those areas of the, of the world. I've even interacted with Jews and rabbis. I've learned that not everybody thinks the way I do. I've learned to be a student of culture, and I've tried to ask questions about why people believe what they believe. Because you never really know what people believe until you ask them. Even without our own world religion of Christianity, there's much variance and complexity. The reality is, we all have slightly different perspectives that make our beliefs unique to us. Yet we often continue to assume that everybody has similar beliefs to what we believe. When you're in another culture, I encourage you to assume the posture of a learner. Don't assume that because you've studied world religions some, that you know the variances within each one. Look at all the worldviews there are. There's religious beliefs. They're all really complex. Within even Islam, there are Sunni, Shiite, and uh, Sufis, who are the mystics within Islam. In Buddhism, there's the Theravadas, the Mahayanas, the Vajrayanas. And even in Christendom, we could have two large categories, Roman Catholicism and Protestantism. But even within each one of those, there's huge complexity 
and variants. Yet we often continue to assume that everybody has beliefs similar to our own. And so we pose the question, do all religions lead to God? We would hope the answer could be yes. And the charitable nature of that question fits nicely into our Western culture, where we've been taught that religious truth is really a matter of perspective. However, this question actually reflects a significant level of religious ignorance, because I believe posing this question makes two major worldview assumptions. First of all, that all, religious, all religions teach that God exists. And that secondly, the goal of all religions is to reach God. I would say that most world religions are not seeking to answer those two questions. So perhaps the better question is, is to ask, as I've mentioned before, are all religions true? Which, if any of the world views is correct, they're not seeking merely to add to their own interesting take on how to view reality. They're all making truth claims, claims about how the world really is. Now, I'd just like to take you on a, a little bit of a world religion tour here that sees all these isms. As we go through these, you, you'll be seeing that reaching God is not something possible or even desirable for everybody within these beliefs. Hinduism, first of all, can be defined as a collection of the religion, culture, and philosophy of ancient India. It's characterized by a belief in reincarnation as well as in a supreme god or entity called Brahman, who has multiple manifestations and varieties of deities. And next, in Islam, Muslims believe in the Sunnah, in the practical example of the Prophet Muhammad, and that there are five basic pillars of Islam, and those pillars are the declaration of faith, that is, praying five times a day, giving money to, for charity, fasting, and the pilgrimage to Mecca. And then Buddhism is a religion that is based on the teaching of Siddhartha Gautama. And the main principles of this belief system are karma, rebirth, and impermanence. Buddhists believe that life is full of suffering and that suffering can be overcome by attaining enlightenment. And animism, a worldview that I'm most familiar with, it's belief in innumerable spiritual beings concerned with human affairs and capable of helping or harming human interests. Atheism. Now, you may not think that that's really a worldview or a world religion, but scientism and atheism are really predominant in Western culture. Atheists argue that because everything in the universe can be explained in a satisfactory way without using God as part of the explanation, then there's no point in saying that God exists. Scientism would also agree that the physical world and the study of it is all we need to answer the questions of physical reality. And in Judaism, the most important teaching and tenet of Judaism is that there is one God, incorporeal and eternal, who wants all people to do what is just and merciful. All people are created in the image of God, and deserve to be treated with dignity and respect. Now, among all those, I would say only Orthodox Judaism and Islam believe that God exists and can be reached. 
So we see the question, do all religions lead to God? Is, uh, it's outside of the Judeo-Christian worldview. So I repeat, this should be the question. Are all religions true? We as Christians often cite John 14, 6 as in Jesus' response to, to Thomas about being the way. And Acts 14, 12 as Jesus being the only road to God. He knows that road because that's where he came from. There's a Hindu, former Hindu believer by the name of Rabbi Zacharias that talks about his his introduction to Jesus. And he quotes John 14, 6, saying, I am the way, the truth, and the life, Jesus says, and no one comes to the Father but through me. And this is this former Hindu's testimony. Just look at the implicit claims in that verse. Jesus asserted that there is only one way to God. That puts us postmodernists and Hindus on edge, earning a tax on its exclusivity. Then Jesus states that God is the author of life and that the meaning of in life lies in coming to him. That assertion would be denied by Buddhism which is non-theistic, if not atheistic, it boils down to all of us asking the question, who was Jesus? Was he who he claimed to be? I say this, all religions do not point to God. All religions do not say that all religions are the same. At the heart of every religion is an uncompromising commitment to a peculiar a particular way of defining who God is or is not, and of defining life's purpose. Every religion at its core makes truth and exclusivity claims. All religions are not the same. Every religion makes those kind of truth claims. And he goes on to say, this uh, former Hindu, It's a little bewildering to me that the tolerance of Hinduism birthed the caste system. You know, in our tolerant culture, we hear people saying that we must be open to everything. Or what they are really saying is, you got to be open to everything that I'm open to. And anything that I disagree with, you should probably disagree with too. You know, truth by definition uh, is exclusive. It excludes that which is not truth. You hear it many times in both Western and Eastern cultures. Well, we all come through different routes and we end up in the same place. But God is not a place or an experience or a feeling. Pluralistic cultures are beguiled by the cosmetically courteous idea that sincerity or privilege of birth is all that counts and that truth is subject to the interpreter. In no other discipline of life or study can one be so naive as to claim inherited belief or insistent belief as the sole determiner of truth. Why then do we make the mistake of thinking that all religions are are right and that it doesn't matter whether the claims they make are objectively true? Religions are not just seeking to add to their own interesting perspectives to the world. They're making truth claims about the way the world really is. Even one testimony of this Jordan Reiki, I heard her online. Sorry, she's 
Her name is Jordan Taylor, and she's a New Ager and a Reiki healer. She says this, New Agers often think about multiple ways of, to God, that you have to find your truth and it, you could access Christ consciousness. None of that is true. The truth is that there are not multiple ways to God. There's one. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one gets to the Father except through him. That's her testimony. The importance of the true, correct view is important when you consider your life is on the line for that truth. We recognize the importance of truth and the reality that so many people disagree with each other on what is truth. Now, there's a, a common uh, slide here, a picture I'd like to show about the elephant. And uh, these people are interpreting reality. I don't see it on my own screen. All the interpreters of reality in the parable are blind and describe reality incorrectly, or at least incompletely. They were just groping for the truth from their limited understanding. But you know, this picture is a great illustration of the fundamental problem of religion. We are all born blind to the truth. Looking at our second preposition, have you ever considered that if God exists, that he would by, be by nature unreachable? How do we expect to reach God unless God first wants to be reached? If we think God is someone that can reach purely through, we can reach purely through our own effort, perhaps we need to rethink just how big our view of God is. The fact that we can think about such a connection seems to, to me a good indication that God wants to be reached. There's a relationship to be attained here. There's a relationship to be lived and enjoyed. It's by faith that we reach out to the way God reached to us through Christ. The difference between the Bible and other books of religious leaders is the story that God is reaching to us. It's Jesus being God incarnated and the Spirit speaking to us. This has often distinguished religion as man reaching for God and a relationship of faith where God is taking the initiative and reaching to us. The imago Dei, that is the image of God within us, is seeking the relationship in all its fullness, the awareness of God, the awareness of his demonstration of love for us in Christ. Christianity teaches that though it's impossible to work our way to God, God did and worked. God can and did work his way to you. He came in Jesus to show what he's like. I'd like you to think about that verse, John 14, 6, when Jesus says to Thomas, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one comes to the Father but through me. Think about the logic of that. Can I go into a phone booth and dial any number and get my home? No. There's only one number that'll get me home. I could be sincere. I could be sincerely wrong. <laughs> the truth is, all roads don't lead to Rome and all religions don't lead to God. 
You see, it all depends on which direction you take. Jesus said this, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me. And I'm betting my life on the fact that he was right, because I figured Jesus knows more about it than I do. The Bible tells us that on the road to heaven, there are only two directions, toward Christ or away from him. You can accept him or you can reject him. Really, it's your choice. You can make Jesus the Lord of your life. That means the manager, the CEO, the person in charge of your life. Or you can call him a liar. But that's what the Bible brings you to the point of decision at. You know, a lot of people sincerely believe that they've, even though they've broken God's rules, that they can earn God's forgiveness by doing good works, by observing those five pillars of Islam or the Eightfold Buddhist Path or the Hindu doctrine of karma, for example. But I don't get it. How will doing some good works that we should have done all our lives anyway make up for the countless times that we've failed? You see, heaven is a perfect place, and that means only perfect people get to go there. And if non-perfect people are allowed in, it wouldn't be perfect anymore. Well, I don't know about you, but I stopped being perfect a long time ago. So God came up with a plan. He came to earth in human form, Jesus Christ, and he lived a perfect life, and now he offers it to us so we can get to heaven on his grace and his merits. And I pray that you'll trust Jesus and stop trying to bat a thousand percent because you end, you'll end up, well, somewhere else. <laughs> Accept what God has provided for you through Christ. We understand that God is perfect in his love and perfect in his holiness, and he's perfectly just and fair. And therefore, I think it's against God's nature to be unfair. It's against God's nature to hide the ball on salvation or to condemn somebody who's ignorant of this truth. And you know, that's a whole other sermon. <laughs> what about those who don't know Jesus? Oh, I'm not going to go there today. In fact, the Bible declares that God is loving and patient and not willing that anybody should perish. He wants everybody to come to repentance and come to know him. He somehow reveals the simple truth of the gospel to people throughout the world. And you know, I've talked to international workers who worked in Africa, and they've come across villagers who have never heard anything about Jesus, but have desired to come into a relationship with God because of what they've seen in nature. And this is not just one particular instance, but several. They are really seeking God, and God has shown himself to them through nature. As a Christian, we're called to tell the good news to other people. It's God's decision to decide what happens to people who haven't heard about him. Aren't you glad that's in his ball court? I am. But it's our decision to take the news Take that news to as many people as possible. And the Bible says we are held more responsible because we've heard and we've known that God is love and that God wants a relationship with us and that well, God, God will forgive us if we give our lives to Jesus. In Christianity, it's not so much a way of life that's prescribed, although that happens when you get to know Jesus. You want to be like him and follow him and do what he's doing. 
But it's really about a person. It's about Jesus. I was thinking of that picture of the elephant. Maybe you can put it up there one more time. And the quote of Kukul, a Christian apologist. By the way, these authors I'm mentioning, you should probably go read some of their books. We've got some in the library, and they'll help your understanding of world religions and how to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's within you. Kukul said this, if the storyteller of that uh, parable of the elephant is the one which cannot see the whole reality, if he is the one of the blind men groping the ground, well, how does he know everybody else is blind and only has a portion of the truth? On the other hand, if he fancies himself in the position of the storyteller, how is it that he alone escapes the illusion that blinds the rest of the people in the cartoon? I remember Andy Steiger, and I want to recommend this book to you. We'll probably get it in the library. In fact, it was the basis for a lot of our messages that we're preaching. We took some of the thoughts from these, this book and are giving them to you through these messages. But Andy Steiger says this about uh, analogies and their limitations. Analogies don't prove a point. They only illustrate it. If Jesus is truly unique, maybe the world's religions are like a maze with only one way out. What if God in Christ steps into that maze to help us through it? That's what Jesus did through the incarnation. And Tim Keller says this, and it's all gospel. The gospel is this. We are more sinful and flawed in ourselves than we ever dared believe. Yet at the same time, we are more loved and accepted in Christ Jesus than we ever dared hope. This is good news. And this is what brings us to the communion table. I just, I want you to look at the cross. I want you to see it as a bridge between you and the Lord. Jesus made that possible through his death on that cross. The scriptures say Jesus died for all, so that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and was raised again. He died for us so we could live with him. I want you to take your communion cup now. And I just want to pray before you can peel the cellophane off and get the, the wafer ready. But I just want to pray for us. And I want, to, I want you to pray with your eyes open, looking at the cross, okay? Father, we come to this communion time as your guests, resting only in the worthiness of your son Jesus. As we look upon the emblems of our Savior's death, we remember why Jesus died. He died to cleanse and to heal, to satisfy your righteousness and justice. We remember his eternal love and his boundless grace. May we receive the assurance of eternal life and the hope of glory. As the bread and cup nourish our body, so may your 
indwelling Holy Spirit, strengthen our soul until the day of Christ's appearing, when we will hunger and thirst no more, and will sit with him at his heavenly table. Amen. When I first read the Gospel of John and all the I am's that are in that book, I fell in love with Jesus. I am. That set the Pharisees several times to fetch stones to try and stone him because they knew that he was declaring that he was the pre-existent God. He was eternal. And they knew what he was saying. And they thought it was blasphemous. Jesus said, I'm the way. And you know, he's become my way. He said, I am the truth, and he's become my truth. It's in him. And he said, I am the life. And he's become life to me, a refreshing life. He's the fizz in our pop. <laughs> he's the effervescence of an otherwise dull life without him. He is the great I am. I am the bread of life, he said. He sustains us physically. I'm the water of life. He refreshes us. He gives us eternal life. Like the Samaritan woman, he incurs to take a drink of eternal life so she'd never be thirsty again. He's given satisfaction to me on the level of my soul. And I want to drink of that. And I want to share that water. This cup is a symbol of his self-giving sacrifice for us. Take the wafer in your, your hand as I grapple with this. Hold it up. This is the body of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is given for us. Let us eat together. And Jesus said, taking the cup, this is the, my blood shed for you, the New Testament. This is the blood, lift it up. This is the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which we have the forgiveness of sins. Let us drink together. Close your eyes and just meditate for a few moments. And the worship team is going to come and lead us. But just close your eyes and think of what Jesus has done for you and what you're receiving.